I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. Each episode, we'll talk about our weekend review, move on to the main event, which is either a main review or a topic of discussion. This week's topic will be about movie-going habits and etiquette, and we'll move on to film faves, our list of 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. This week's topic is... 2015. My favorite year. But first, before we get started, I have a correction I'd like to make. Last week we were talking about the movie Bad Moms. I had said that I wasn't sure that it had done very well commercially in terms of box office or even critically. And in fact, it was the hit comedy of last year. Ha! It's, <laughs> its budget was only $20 million, and I believe it actually made something like $119 million, which is very, very good for a comedy of uh, that size, of that budget and everything. So I uh, just wanted to make that correction really quickly before we moved on. So with that said, we can move on to our week in review. Shanna, what was your week? Um, my week was fantastic. I got to watch a few different things. One of my favorites right now is Chewing Gum, a TV show produced by Netflix about a girl, Tracy, who was brought up in a very Christian home. She is 22 years old, I believe, and she is ready to explore outside of her Christian home, particularly her sexuality. And it's very fun watching her fumble with this because I think everybody can relate to their first time, their first kiss, their all these myths that are floating around about how that is supposed to work or how that shouldn't work or what this could mean or what it couldn't mean and so her head is filled with all these different interpretations by other people and she's just trying to find some clarity and it's not working I'm in episode five I believe mm-hmm. and she the poor girl has not gained any clarity at this point mm-hmm. and so it is very fun to watch that unfold very cool very cool and that's on Netflix it is Oh, and it's British, so it has a very fun sense of humor. So, Also on Netflix, I have been watching The Beginning of Life. Mm. I do a lot of nanny work, so I'm always curious to find resources about these little humans and their development. Um, Things are always changing, and, you know, with the way media is right now, we can hear opinions from the French, we can hear opinions from the Italians, we can hear opinions from around the world about the upbringing of children. And so what's really cool about the way the media has developed and how the world has developed, we are able to hear different research, different doctors from around the world, which always adds an interesting layer to things. One of the most interesting discoveries I found in one of the episodes was dropping something on the floor is an experiment for the child. They're picking this object up, they're very interested in the object, and then they're going to see what happens when they drop it. Is mom gonna pick it up? (gasps) Mom's making that funny face again, (laughs) ha ha ha. You mean like when they're in the high chair and they they have like a fork or a spork or whatever and they just like 
drop it. And to like, us, or, we're like, oh, you little, you little booger. So <laughs> <laughs> right. they're not trying to irritate us. They're actually seeing how the world works. Mm. And they talk about... You know, children that are under six months, they want to see very basic shapes. Mm -hmm. They just want to understand how lighting works mm -hmm. and how shadows work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking a blanket and flicking it up over the child, not leaving it there, mm -hmm. and then flicking it back up or having like a tent movement mm -hmm. above the head is very interesting for them because mm -hmm. they're seeing the light changing very quickly. So this is a documentary? Yes, it's got a couple episodes. I can't oh, remember. Serious. Yes, okay. I can't remember how many episodes, but it's very interesting to watch. So I highly recommend it to anyone who is interested in child development, anyone that is becoming a new parent, so that when your child drops the spatula for the hundredth time, <laughs> you don't want to like run away and join the circus. So, and how many episodes have you watched? One. <laughs> One. Okay, so you just seen the first episode. I just started, and okay. it, it has helped me so much. Excellent. And then something else that I got to watch this week was Evolution, a French horror film. Not but the comedy by Ivan Reitman from back in the 90s. No, but I do need to watch that again at this age and mm. see how I interpret it. This is the kind of horror that's body horror. I'm not talking about, oh, we're going to pan this way and all of a sudden a, a clown is going to jump up right, and okay. scare us half to death. Yeah. So it's slow paced okay. in its movement, which is actually really enjoyable. It takes place on an island of women and boys. And what we think is happening is that these are their mothers. But you will find later that there's quite a mystery happening. There okay. is a hospital involved on this island. Mm -hmm. And we're not really sure what kinds of medical procedures these women are doing on these boys. And we also don't really know what they're doing in their spare time when they leave their homes in the middle of the night mm. while their boys are sleeping. I thoroughly enjoyed the cinematography in this film. Mm. I, I find that French films typically have a really clean palette and it's very minimalistic. There's no clutter. So it's it just it's so refreshing to watch visually. Excellent. And, and that's on Netflix streaming as well. Excellent. Very cool. So it's body horror, so the, it, it's a scary movie, but it really comes from the what what happens to bodies or or what have you um and it's uh, kind of like a, a david cronenberg film well i guess if you're squeamish yeah and you don't mind the thrill of being squeamish for a film sure, sure. give it a try but if yeah. you cannot handle anything that happens to the body right this film isn't for you right and if I you got squeamish during the black <laughs> swan just when she was peeling back her finger oh uh, you know yeah. that's true that this probably isn't for you then <laughs> sorry <laughs> All right, so that's Evolution, as you said, on uh, Netflix uh, streaming. I think uh, that's a relatively new release, uh, too. I think it might have gone to the festival circuits, if I heard correctly, and, and it's got a pretty good buzz around it, so it may be worth checking out. Yeah, and the main character, he was just great. I don't know how old he actually is, but mm. he was wonderful to watch. Okay. Okay. What Excellent. about your week in review? Uh, let's see. I think the first thing I want to talk about is I've been watching the second season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. I really loved 
the first season of this show, I feel like it was incredibly fresh and it's to back up a little bit it's it stars i believe it's the actress name is rachel bloom she was a youtube star she did these musical videos or what have you and And then she got her own show she got her own show because oh she was doing pretty well with that and she integrates basically it's a musical romantic comedy that's what it kind of starts out but it has a feminist slant to it which is really refreshing and very interesting. So it's always looking at uh, traditional perspectives and tropes of the romantic comedy and how women are are uh, perceived. And uh, the first season I just found very, very clever. The songs were hilarious. The second season, however, I'm on episode six right now or just finished episode six and i really felt like the first four episodes were not nearly as good as the first season and i i was very much on the edge of just giving up on it there's a lot of Mm -hmm. shows where i'll watch the first season and the first season's awesome then i'm not too into the second season what happens with it was that the same situation as the kimmy schmidt yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, that was a case for me. Uh, Desperate Housewives, I think maybe even Fringe. There's a few shows where I've run into that as an issue. And I started to run into that issue with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, where mm. it really lives up to the title. The main character is kind of a crazy ex-girlfriend. She really wants to be liked. She never wants to be the bad guy. And she will go to insane lengths to make sure that she is not the bad guy in a situation and sometimes that gets really painful and unbearable to watch in the first four episodes it was really really painful but then i had episode five and episode six and it got a lot better there's a friend i wish i looked up the actress's name she plays the neighbor of the main character. Uh, the character's name is Heather. She's kind of Indian descent. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. I mean, she is hilarious. They, there's a, a kind of a, a girl group that's formed mm-hmm. of, of three friends in the second season. And she's a part of that. And she is always the one who's outside of the situation looking in being and saying maybe what you're about to do is not a good idea see this is why you need friends right (laughs) (laughs) right not that she's ever listened to Mm -hmm. you know but uh, she she's really really funny and i just i just feel like we got off of the direction that it was going uh, a little bit off the whole josh thing and it, it there's uh a episode i think it's episode five they go off to a Burning Man type festival and it, it kind of takes this little detour where it's a little fresh and, and, more, and different from what it's been doing and so that's helped it um, a lot. I haven't finished the season yet. I'm only episode 6 or 7 and so we'll see if my feeling, if it keeps it up and my feelings change. Sounds like it's the part where you were mentioning how painful it was to watch her be a people pleaser. Mm. Sounds like an issue every woman can relate to. We never want to be the bad guy. I definitely 
feel like that's the case. I feel like there's a lot in the series in general. That Does she overcome that? A lot of women. Nah, <laughs> yet. I mean, okay. she she has a problem with even recognizing when she's wrong and been like that's actually part of the problem with the first four episodes mm-hmm. is she's so self-absorbed that she's not paying attention to anyone else in her life, mm-hmm. and I guess. That's one of the reasons why it's really difficult. And, of course, the, the songs weren't as clever, and there's other things going on there. But I feel like there's definitely notes that Rachel Bloom is hitting mm-hmm. that are probably going to ring true for a lot of women. And so I definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't, if you're not watching it on cable as it's airing. Catch it up on catch up with it on Netflix. Next I saw Ghost in the Shell on opening night. Oh, are we going to hear you talk about this one? Yes. Okie yes. dokie. So <laughs> you might have caught... Get ready, everyone. There's a few thoughts that I wrote down on the Gibson Review Facebook page as a kind of short review. But this is a American remake of the 1995 Japanese anime which is itself based on a manga series. There's been a lot of controversy about this movie because of uh, Scarlett Johansson's casting. And I should say, first off, I love Scarlett Johansson. Yes. I think she's fantastic. I loved her way before she did the mainstream action stuff. Uh, when I saw her in Ghost World in 2001, I think it was, and, and The Man Who Wasn't There the year before, which is a Coen Brothers film. I've seen her in a few things as she was when she was in her late teens and early 20s, Lost in Translation. She's just, she started out as being a really, really classy actress, and she's oh, taking on very interesting roles. She's a fantastic, one of the best actresses of her generation, I would say. So I love her. She's great terribly miscast in this movie and i know there's a lot of back and forth about about just that issue alone but that's that's only part of the issue right here's the thing i don't think even if they had cast an asian in the role it would have done that person any favors oh that's really unfortunate that makes me very sad now it is a terrible film i walked out of the movie after it was over. I, I literally almost walked out in the mo- in the middle of the movie, which I never That's do. That's terrible. I never do. I actually saw someone just down the row from me actually did walk out of this movie. <laughs> you should have, like, <clears throat> asked them to join the podcast for this particular <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah, so I left the movie after watching it, and my first primary thought was, oh, my God, that was terrible. Here's why. If you're not familiar with the original anime film, which you should, because now it's actually easy to find, which was not the case in the 90s, in the early aughts, but you can find it easily on Best Buy, and I'm sure you can rent it on Amazon if you if you really need to. This was one of the films that, where the world took anime seriously. There was Akira a few years before that, and there's Ghost in the Shell, and the reason why is because It used sci-fi to ask serious philosophical questions about what makes us human. What is the difference between man and machine? The ghost represents the soul, right? Mm -hmm. 
And it did these things through not only some sort of sincere philosophizing in the dialogue and you know where two characters would be discussing this this quandary the main character is is uh wrestling over which is the overall quandary that the movie's trying to get across but it also did it with the villain too the a villain which by the way has completely been excised in this remake they changed uh, who the villain is they Basically, you know, I'm not even going to filter myself because honestly, this is not a movie that you should care enough about to be precious about. So Jeff is going to spoil movies that he doesn't think are worthy of watching. (laughs) On the rare occasion. On the rare occasion. Mild spoiler, the villain is actually a corporation. How how bland can you get, you know? By having, uh, once again, a corporate bad guy as the villain of the movie. It's... It's, it's just an awful movie. Every step that they took was a, was the worst step imaginable in this film, except the visual effects. Mm. I think that's the one thing uniformly everybody can, uh, can agree with. The visuals, totally cool in this movie. That is it. I think that's not enough for the price of admission. Not even to a, a, a future Redbox rental. It's that bad it's it's everything when i first heard this movie was being announced i should have started with this but uh, when i first heard this movie was announced because they've been trying to make american versions american studios have been trying to make a um, adaptation of anime movies like akira and ghost in the shell for about 10 years now maybe longer but i've been aware for at least 10 years and so they finally got Ghost in the Shell off the ground, and I was skeptical from the start. But then when Scarlett Johansson was cast, I really felt like I had an idea what direction this movie was going. Mm-hmm. And it was not necessarily a good one. Like, I, I will say, though, two things. One, they didn't go so far as to change the entire environment of the movie, from, you know, move it from Japan to America or New York City anything like that which i was afraid they were going to do mm-hmm. they didn't do that okay. no because they only want a sprinkling of asian ethnicity huh? that is oh that is more true than you know mm-hmm. they claim like this movie is diverse but there is really no significant asian characters aside from one or two all other asians get killed in the movie or are like yakuza or something like that you know the main character is part of a like a government team called the Sector Nine. Mm-hmm. The rest of her team, all different ethnicities, but hardly characters at all. Mm. So what does that count for? You know. So it, it's speaking of diversity. Do yeah. they have something out there, kind of like what they have for that particular test? I I'm always sure. I always call it the bechamel test. The Bechdel. Yes. The Bechdel <laughs> test. Do they have something like that, mm. but for diversity, ethnic I, diversity? I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And there's not anything that I'm aware of that's like, that's an A-B comparison. Well, if uh, anyone knows of anything test. like that, they should let us know because sure. that would be wonderful to have. Yeah, feel free to email gibsonreview at gmail.com. But uh, it's just basically like try a little harder. You know, mm. uh, the director is a guy named River Everett. His only film that I'm aware of is Snow White and the Huntsman, which was not great. 
mm-hmm. at all. That was probably twice the movie Ghost in the Shell is, but it's like both movies combined does not make for a very impressive resume on River Everett's uh, part. So I don't know how excited I'll ever be when I hear a project being tied to him Mm -hmm. uh, in the future. Not that he added any interest to me in the first place. Uh, If anything, he he added caution to me. Like, oh, well, at best, this might be mediocre, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was it. I, I was afraid of what the movie was going to be, is what I'm trying to say, and it was worse than my expectations going in. Mm-hmm. Just a complete waste of time. And you know what? It's not doing very well. So word of mouth is actually affecting this thing. It debuted at number three, made only $19 million in the first weekend. It'll be lucky if it makes back its budget, especially when you take on into consideration that on top of the production budget... There's a certain X number of millions spent in marketing, mm. and they marketed the hell out of this movie mm-hmm. a lot of different ways. It's all for naught. You know, it's one of those things like, yeah, you can market the hell out of your movie, but, you know, it doesn't do any good if the movie's terrible. Yeah. Well, that's really unfortunate. So, anyway, but that aside, we together have watched a few things, right? It's been quite a, a, a fun week. Yes, we've watched Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, let's talk about Beauty and the Beast. Okay. So this is the, the recent remake that came out a couple weeks back mm-hmm. that has been a monster hit, which only encourages Disney to crank out more <laughs> remakes of those classic animated movies. Hey, you know what? They can crank out as many as they want, as long as they do them well. Okay. Okay. So, I have no problem with it. <laughs> okay. So I guess we should start, first of all, let's take a step back. Okay. How many of the live-action remakes have you seen that Disney has been doing? Well, I have seen Maleficent. Maleficent. I have seen Cinderella. Cinderella, yeah. And, of course, The Jungle Book. Jungle Book. And we've just seen Beauty and the Beast. And have you seen Alice in Wonderland movies? I saw the first one. First one. And some people could date as far back as 101 Dalmatians, though really it's... Oh, that was fun. I don't remember that one as well because it's been so long ago. Mm-hmm. I know Alice in Wonderland, though, in particular, is where this really started off because that was a big monster hit, too, at that time. That is true. So how many of those that you've seen did you did you like? Well, look, I can say that out of all of those, the one that I didn't like was Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we agree on that. But I have enjoyed... I enjoyed Maleficent. I loved seeing her side of the story. Mm-hmm. There's... You know, we're so used to the villain hero archetypes yeah. that we never really ask, why did the villain become a villain in the first place? Right. So it was very interesting to see that. Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of issues with Maleficent, but you raise a really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think is the one thing of that course makes... I do. is the one thing that makes Maleficent probably the freshest and interesting out of all these so far is it doesn't try to remake the movie it tries Mm. to look at it through a different angle which I thought was a very interesting premise and it almost worked for me 100% but well and maybe maybe it was a little bit risky too but I like that they took that risk yes definitely and you know I also like Shalto Shalto Copley who was a co-star uh, in that he plays uh, Sleeping Beauty's uh, Aura what's her name Aurora's father 
Yes. And for those who don't know, he's South African. So I can always tell when he's in a film. Mm. I can hear his accent a mile away. Yeah. And it's very exciting for me. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. I just wish he was in better projects since District 9. I don't I don't think his I believe he has a new movie coming up and I think I'm going to enjoy that because he mm. is using his South African humor in the dialogue. Nice. So that'll be fun. But back to Disney. Yeah. So, so you you uh, what about Cinderella and Jungle Book? I did not enjoy Cinderella. Mm. You know, so compared to Maleficent there were these dark moments moments being mm, revealed sure. i like those because that's part of our human nature well it was maleficent um, also well yes but maleficent wasn't always bad so i guess as we learned in the movie like you're not going to tell me that cinderella didn't have did not have moments where she was like i really wish that my father did not remarry i really wish that my stepmother would fall down the stairs like well it sounds like you actually enjoy a more revisionist take on the character cinderella which means you probably enjoyed the movie ever after yes i enjoyed with, that right with uh, drew barrymore but I, I i feel similarly about cinderella also mm-hmm. i think we're kind of on the same page about most of these live action movies um, however i thought cinderella was fairly bland myself Mm -hmm. and that's a good description not not very memorable Mm. however Mm -hmm. i do think they should keep going at it because they're going it's disney they're going to do their research they're going to listen to what people are saying and they're come on they are going to improve upon everything they do because that's who they are so i have a lot of faith in them Um, and that might upset some people, okay. but I have faith in that company. And I believe that, you know, they're going to keep getting better as they go along. My feeling was up before we saw Beauty and the Beast that for the most part, this is all this live action remake has been a terrible idea. And really, the only good that's come from it is the Jungle Book remake. Yes. I actually thought was. Uh, pretty solid and uh, not necessarily better than the original, right? But almost as good. And as Bill the Murray was in it, so that just made my heart. Yeah, sing. that was a really good casting yeah. choice with uh, Balloon there. Everybody, I, I think the the overall casting was pretty good. I think that that was a very good remake, and it was yeah. interesting to see real animals. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely well rendered. So okay. So now this year, they came out with Beauty and the Beast, which 1991's Beauty and the Beast was considered one of their greatest films and it uh, was. ever made, right? <laughs> one of the greatest musicals of their animated films mm-hmm. of all time, right? I mean, some of the most memorable songs that Disney has ever made came from Beauty and the Beast, yes. right? And it was, I think it was two years after Little Mermaid, which really kicked off its its new golden age mm-hmm. at that time, which was Little Mermaid, Rescue Us Down Under. Most people forget that that was in, in this. I love that um, film. Which I haven't seen in, in a long time. So Rescue Us Down Under, then it moved on to Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. And then I think after Aladdin was The Lion King, unless I'm forgetting something, right? So... Classic material they're mining from. Is it worth remaking one of their greatest films? And did the live action live up to it? And was it worth the effort? 
we have not talked about this privately, so this is the first time we are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Things might get heated. So no, I won't get <laughs> I feel that when you're going to turn something into a sort of live action film, you have to add something. You have to take a different spin on it. You have to add more information. Mm. Um, you have to humanize you. Okay. You know, you have to have a different set of goals. I felt that this was very close to the first film, the first Beauty and the Beast they made. You could see that they were trying to play with the camera work. I mean, that animated film was very well known for the camera work that they did. Sure, right. And so I felt like they were trying to push themselves with that too. However, at certain times I felt very dizzy. Mm. So I understood that they were pushing themselves, but maybe they were pushing just a little too hard over there. I loved... The costumes, I thought they did fantastic. Completely agree. I felt like costing was very good. Mm-hmm. I loved the little tweaks that they made to the characters. I love that they made yeah. Gaston even more egotistical, which yeah. I didn't think was possible. Yeah. How, how do you feel like they made him more egotistical? Well, he's just always looking in the mirror now. Yeah. He's constantly looking in the mirror and he'll well, have these moments of absolute and complete selfishness. And I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. seeing that on a human male yeah. is very different to seeing it on an animated male. Like you see it on yeah. an animated male and Gaston looks real pretty in sure. the animation. And right. because of that prettiness of how he's been drawn, yeah. he doesn't seem like a villain until he really does do something villainous later. Mm. Um, he just seems like, well, you're an ass. But in the live action film that we just recently watched watched there's more visual clues as to how much of an egotistical ass he is so i feel like he was more of a villain from the beginning okay of the film and i loved lafu i thought that his absolute bromance and love for gaston was fun and i loved how that's uh, josh gad playing lafu mm-hmm. and i loved how that evolved mm-hmm. later and the Beast, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like his head needed to be bigger, though. Really? Yeah, I felt like he maybe needed more hair. Um, Music-wise, I thought that we were okay. However, you know, we went with our very close girlfriends, and we wanted to sing along, and we were kind of off the rhythm because, you know, they had changed how they were oh, singing. Okay. Yeah. And I know that with Broadway, they kind of do that a little bit as well yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because i feel like it really went more in a quote-unquote broadway direction it, it felt mm. felt more broadway like mm-hmm. uh, with the musical performances and i love the objects i know that my brother was really worried about how they were going to transform the objects into real life understandably especially given the result but i was totally fine it was more realistic with animation disney animation in particular things are going to flow very nicely and with live action you could see cogsworth was just so much heavier which makes sense because he would be that heavy being Mm. the dense clock that he was right um i was very fond of the changes they made to the script i don't think i really had any particular problem with any of it okay i know that you feel differently though so that's what i loved and what i felt like could have been improved was the camera work i guess oh interesting. just because it was too fast for me and then i would have liked it if i could have sang along better okay so 
I, I agree with you. The costumes and the production design is just absolutely dazzling. I almost wonder if, to an extent, if it was so dazzling that like it affected like their enjoyment of the movie, <laughs> right? And they're just able to overlook everything else that happened in the movie. I, I should also say Emma Watson. Yes, how absolutely cool. Love her. Yeah. She is a perfect belle. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is she is great. And right? that's not just because she was Hermione Granger. <laughs> Although it is cool that she's got right. Hermione Granger well, and Belle on her filmography. I also like Dan Stevens' his mocap performance as the Beast. Mm-hmm. It was surprising how good that, that was. Here's the thing, though. Okay, first of all, the 1991 movie is somewhere between 80, 80 to 90 minutes. Okay? Mm-hmm. This new movie is like two hours and 15 minutes long okay so there is a lot of filler in this film a lot of things they added a lot of changes and i think sometimes as you said when you remake a movie sometimes change is good especially Mm -hmm. if you're trying to improve on the mistakes of the first go around right Mm -hmm. i didn't think any of the changes or additions did anything to add to this story at all. And and to be clear, what I'm referring to for the most part is A, they added more songs, none of which I remember, and B, so this movie, the animated one has been around for like 20 plus years, right? Mm-hmm. Did you at any point wonder, hey, I wonder what happened to Belle's mom? Or did you ever wonder, did you ever really want to know the story behind Beast's parents? I kind of did. I enjoyed knowing where these two people came from. It They they actually had a lot in common. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> that was painful According for you. According to the script, yes. Well... I, I really felt like that was... I don't want to go so far as to say it was contrived... But it did not feel organic, and I didn't care. I really didn't care. Oh, you're so heartless. About, no, come <laughs> on. I mean, you're talking to a guy, like, look, like, in the original Beauty and the Beast, there are moments in that animated movie that are just absolutely moving. Mm. Will choke me up. Okay. And, and I feel like there wasn't a single... Okay, first of all, not only did I not care about the additions of Belle's mom or learning why beast was such a dick in the first place (laughs) you know i didn't care you got the idea from the fairy tale he was rich he was privileged you know he looked down on anybody below his station that's what the whole point of the enchantress is in the first place but it's not a point i don't need to know any more than that Uh uh-huh i don't need 40 minutes especially Trying uh-huh. to sell that point to, to me. Second of all, going back to the point of how the, the original anime movie was so moving, I didn't have any moment in this, ori- in this new film that moved me like the animated version did. I don't know if it has something to do with the simplicity of the animation mm-hmm. in, in sequences like the Something There song, mm-hmm. when you actually start to see uh, Beast's gruff facades start to thaw a little bit and warm to Belle and their relationships start to form there. 
but that that sequence didn't connect uh, with me, and any other moment that did for me in the animated movie did not in in this one. So I felt it it definitely fell short. Okay. This version for me. You know what? That all being said, yeah. The whole privilege thing. Just because you have privilege does not mean you're an asshole. Like, no, but he was, and that's all that I yeah, need to know. But I like that we found out that, oh, well, hey, um, his father was an asshole, and so he's an asshole. And that makes sense to me. Okay. And Did you need that to be explained to you? Yeah, because they don't even hint on that, where that nastiness comes from at all in uh, the animation. Uh, yeah, he's, and look, I get what you're saying about Belle's mom. Yeah. Like... I guess that not exploring that made Belle so much more powerful in that we focused so much more on her story mm. in the animation. Yes. Cool. But I feel like these these live actions are meant to add on. And it's a fun reveal for me. Yeah, just so much of the movie didn't connect. And the third act, uh, it, didn't, it didn't quite work. By the way, Josh Gad, mm-hmm. that dude really wants to be liked in his uh in his roles because in the original in the original movie lefou he just runs away in the end with the defeat of of everybody who invaded the castle right i won't say what happens here but i will say it is different and it is so like he's (laughs) it's it's like he really wants to be likable I okay, I get where you're coming from with saying that because everyone's allowed to have their own perspective of something. Yeah. But I also feel like it's a really great evolution of saying, you know what? Maybe I need to start following the own beat of my own drum, you know? Well, okay. I, again, I don't want to say... I, I wish I could respond to that, but I won't because mm. it'll spoil. <laughs> I will just say that it did not seem consistent and work for me. And uh, there's other things that happen in the third act that really ties tries to improve on one glaring issue with the original film, and the, I won't go. I, I'll just say it has to do with the village and the castle being in proximity to each other. I like that addition. Uh, it did. I will it, keep it, my mouth it closed. It was confusing and it, it felt forced. But anyway, it made sense to me. Right. But um, so it sounds like we kind of differ on on how successful this. You was. said that you didn't really feel much of a connection with it, no, and that there weren't no. a lot of touching moments. Certainly not compared to the original. At all. I felt that in the third act, I felt incredibly moved by that. Hmm, okay. Oh, I will say, without getting too detailed, they make a huge change in what happens with the villain, and I, I do think that the, I, I have definite issues with what they did there. Anyway. Oh, yeah. one last thing. Yes. <laughs> the Beast. I thought, you know, you remember the animation, and you remember the Beast being so scary. In the beginning. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I didn't feel like he was scary enough. I felt like okay. they had to pump that up a couple notches. Okay, I could see. That's that's fair. They kept that's it fair. too subtle. I was like, no, mm. the kids will be fine. The animation, at this point now, with the yeah. beast being angry, yeah. is scarier than the live action, which makes no sense to me. Right, right. And in, I know that with the Broadway, the beast is also scary. Yeah. In his scary moments. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is important to keep. Yeah, I haven't. I'm not familiar with that, but I definitely see your point. I, I, there's something to that, and Disney is 
probably trying to tone down and play it safe because it is different when it's nah, man. Don't and do that, Disney. It, yeah, right, right. So, okay, we differ on, on the beauty and the beast. But we also just came from a screen of Khan Skull Island. Now I'm I have curious. thoughts about that. <laughs> uh, I have we, plenty we of thoughts. Do. Uh, we, again, we won't, we won't spoil the end of the movie, but tell me, I'm curious, what did you think of Khan Skull Island? Well, <laughs> She's giving me I'll look. tell you what I think about that movie. I prefer the other Kong movie. The, the actual Kong story, King Kong story. Yes, I, I do prefer that. That being said, I do like the changes that they made in this film. And I like how they placed it in the timeline of human history. Mm. That was great. Mm -hmm. To clarify, this is not a intended as a remake of King Kong. This is Universal Studios deliberately trying to create a universe with Godzilla and King Kong that eventually builds to a Godzilla versus King Kong movie. So Oh, so maybe we should have waited for the end credits. As far as I know, there's nothing at the end of credits. I haven't seen any reports of that. If I'm mm -hmm. wrong, feel free to email gibsonreview at gmail.com with uh, what, what, it is, what it is we missed, if there is anything. Well, but, so this is not a remake of King Kong. So, And I think I agree with you. It's a good thing that it's not. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I did enjoy how they portrayed the female character. Again, I would have liked it if there were a couple more female characters. You Played know, by Brie Larson. Oh, and she's amazing. Mm -hmm. And she was a photographer, and we have thoughts on that, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> and I enjoyed all the visual effects, of course. I thought they did a very good job. I didn't feel like at any point, oh, we're too close, which is often a problem with CGI action. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The camera is too close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a problem with that. I loved the monsters they incorporated. They really expanded upon that and showed them in different right. environments. So that was great. I loved how they portrayed Kong. I loved what they were doing with him. We're not going to spoil anything, but his story in this film was something that really made sense. It was also very different from what we know Colin's story to be you know, from the past. Well, and that's interesting that you mention that because I almost feel like this is a different take, whereas the original one that was made, that's a very particular portrayal of such a grand beast. Well, yeah, I mean, coincidentally, it's all uh, the original story is a version of the Beauty and the Beast, you know, fairy tale. Mm. Uh, and this is not. You see shades of that dynamic, but it really, on the whole, no, it really avoids that familiar storyline mm. quite, quite completely in this. Um, I enjoyed the cinematography mm. and I enjoyed their creativity. So that was really fun. Did you enjoy it? So I think this movie is 60% uh, cool and about 40% really dumb. Like, quote-unquote oh. cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's set in 1973. And it is very on the nose about its time period. Like, it doesn't just suddenly have a record player going on in the background. It shows you a close-up of that record player. It doesn't just show a presentation by a slide projector. It shows a close-up of the slide projector, <laughs> and it's going chunk, chunk, chunk. Honey, and you know what they call that? Appreciation 
for Ugh. past technology. It's <laughs> it's beyond that. It's like yes, I get it. It's 1973 <laughs> for fuck's sakes, God! And like wow, Jeff has strong feelings. <laughs> well, you know, it's 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 things like that are the hallmark of a studio blockbuster. You know, okay. tentpole movie, right? Yeah. You know, subtlety goes by the wayside. There's nothing <laughs> subtle about this movie at all. In fact, it's set like I think as the Vietnam War ends. Okay. You know. Yes, they're and, essentially and packing up. Yeah. Ready and to go. And that really, tr- <laughs> it's like in no way are you confused that the Vietnam War (laughs) takes place sometime around this time. It really tries to sell Vietnam War imagery with the the bombing of an exotic land and... Oh, I see what you're talking about, yes. The the military imagery, you got a guy who's wearing airline, you know, shades and you see explosions happening in the reflection of his He's shades. a little too happy. All these kinds of things, right? Smelling the napalm. Right. <laughs> napalm gets napalm mentioned. Actually, napalm actually plays several a times. in the third act. It's <laughs> it is a little I see what a, you're talking about very, now. It's quite bombastic. It's a little <laughs> ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it is also a lot of fun. At first watching the trailer, I will say I was really like what the hell are they doing with these creatures that you get glimpses of in the trailers? Like, these are not T-Rexes. Skull Island's supposed to be, like, prehistoric. All these, you know, we saw him fight, like, five, four or five freaking T-Rexes in the Peter Jackson movie, right? <laughs> That's because it's hell? Peter Jackson. <laughs> right, but my point is, it was in the original 1933 movie. My mm. point is, what the hell are these things? Are they just trying to make something new and different and big and bad? No, there's a reason. It's it's actually that makes sense out of all of it and tie it to Godzilla. Probably the only thing that's subtle about this movie is its ties to the Godzilla movie from 2013, 2014 hmm. uh, by Gareth Edwards uh, to try to build this universe. Knowing that, did this movie make you excited about seeing the further adventures of King Kong or what happens with these mudos and things, these other creatures? Look, I wouldn't say that I'm super stoked Mm -hmm. i am very curious but i'm not like jumping off my seat like if they had to cancel it for some reason i'd be like oh that's unfortunate definitely so were there any issues uh, that you had with this movie colin skull island aside from spoilers or anything that feels spoilery is it a spoiler to talk about brie larson i don't think there's any like any developments about her really like let's let's okay i think i know which direction really briefly, let's talk if you want to talk about brie larson go, go right ahead brie larson her career in this film um she is a photojournalist mm-hmm. well she's not called a photojournalist we're just gonna this is where we differ in opinion here she is a documentary photographer of the war no she says quote and i quote <laughs> An anti-war photographer, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on, uh, that should give you an idea of how on the nose this movie is. Okay. Um, this is me breathing. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I am a photographer. Yes. I've been photographing for half my life. I've yes. been on this earth for 30 years. Sure. So that gives me 
quite a good insight into the photo industry. I also studied photography for five years where it wasn't like in America where you take a photo class and you take a philosophy class. No, I studied hardcore photography for four years out of those five. And you're damn proud of those those years. And I graduated cum laude, so there we go. (laughs) Now the thing is... Humbleness. (laughs) Hashtag. (laughs) So here's the thing. Mm -hmm. By this time, we've had plenty of war photographers. We've had plenty of street photographers. What was happening is they were taking the documentary photography category and they started breaking it up. So you had street, you had war. I could understand anti-war photographer. And the reason... I think she said that wasn't just to label her label herself or be on the nose about what was going on with that particular war. Mm. I think it was actually to say I am not supportive of this war. I don't think it was a particular photography title. I think it was okay. a way of saying this isn't meant to be a war. This wasn't meant to happen, which is how a lot of people felt. I understand that. And she was using her skill to take particular photographs that were going to show that this war was unnecessary. Okay. However, Mm. there is nothing in the movie, nothing she does, nothing she says that illustrates what you just explained. Okay. I think I have an argument here. Okay. When they reach the native people of Skull Island... Uh-huh. If you pay attention to the kinds of photographs she's taking, which, by the way, she does not take photos every two seconds. And I don't know if right. that's how film photography was, but digital age, like we are shooting all the time. Well, yeah, you, just, you probably did need to be a little more sparing. Uh, yeah, but even film. so. But anyway. Right, even so, you're right. There's a lot of things that she sees mm-hmm. on this island. That, that she is not would, photographing. And you would think she would. And she's not right? doing it. And yes. I'm like, that is irritating me. Like crazy. (laughs) It is making my shutter finger act crazy. And anyway, I... If you pay attention yeah. to the kinds of photos she's taking, she's taking yes. photos of human contact. She's taking photographs of connection. She's yeah. taking photographs that are close up, yeah. paying attention to faces, paying attention to anything that humanizes anything. And... She doesn't take a lot of photos of the creatures fighting, of the creatures chasing them. I mean, you look at the Peter Jackson film and Jack Black is filming as much as he can, which makes sense. Right, it's a different context. So, But what I'm trying to say is if you look at what she is drawn to photographing, Mm -hmm. it's possible that she can classify herself as an anti-war photographer. So... Yes, some of that is true. Besides, we're running out of time. We should move on. We, 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 <laughs> we are running quite behind. But uh, just really briefly, I will say, yes, some of what you say is, is true, <laughs> but it is not consistent. And some of it's even staged, actually. If you, if you are paying attention, you'll notice that some of her photography, particularly with the natives, is staged. She tells them what to do. So um, That happens, with, though. Which is a... Wow. It, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, that said, like nothing against Brie Larson. She was totally. Oh yeah, we love her. Yeah, she was solid. All right. So moving uh, on. That's our week in review. Let's finally get on to the main event, which this episode is movie going habits and etiquette. 
Oh, oh boy. I, yeah. Part of the purpose of this is to give you an idea of our thoughts on the movie-going experience, and but also probably give some pros and cons, do's and do-nots uh, that go with that. And, um, Open all your candy before the movie starts, please. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But <laughs> Help first of your all, children. Before we get, you know, put the cart before the horse, I want to start by asking, uh, in terms of the theater experience... Shannon, what do you love about going to the theater? Why do you do it? I love going to the theater because it reminds me of my childhood. As I said in the previous episode, we didn't get out much, but we did go see every movie every week. I think that happened round about when I was 11. And my father was always busy. He was... Uh, he is still to this day a very hard-working man and so he was multitasking before that was even a common phrase thrown around and so we never really had one-on-one time with him but something about going to the theater with him and mom and my brother made it feel like family time to me and I love popcorn so having someone else make popcorn for me was always kind of cool and I love sitting in cushy seats and I especially love when no one's in front of me and I can put my feet up. That's the best. And I love seeing trailers. I know you can watch trailers online now Mm, and you can even watch it on Hulu, which is cool. But I love seeing trailers in the movies, um, in the theater. Why is that? I feel like it's just so much more exciting. Also, it supports the industry, and I believe in the media industry, Mm -hmm. the film industry, and I want it to keep growing. So Mm -hmm. I will go to the theater to support them. I will not watch a pirated movie. It's just not beneficial to any creator. Mm. Right, right, right. What about you? Well, you know, in, in some ways, I'm right there with you. There is a communal experience that can occur when you go to the movie theater with a bunch of strangers and you're experiencing something together for the first time that is either uh, jaw-dropping, astounding, or moving. Or or frightening. (laughs) Or even, yes, or even hilarious, you Mm -hmm. know? And sometimes, I don't go to very many horror movies. This is a really good example, though. Sometimes when you go to a movie going with a crowd of people around you in you know mm. the same room mm-hmm. heightens the experience right mm-hmm. it can make it the the frights that much more fun the laughs that much more hilarious you know if it's a stupid movie you know <laughs> it could you know you get a wise ass in there it can make it even more fun not i don't want to that gets into etiquette a little bit we'll talk about you know, talking during movies in a little bit here. But first of all, what comes to mind is the communal communal experience. Mm-hmm. For me, though, another reason why I go to the movies is there are a lot of movies that come out every year that need that huge silver screen experience. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're... 40 to 60 inch screen is not going to do what the director is envisioning justice you know it would not have done the martians huge visual landscapes 
of Mars, Justice, right? Going to see, if I had watched Gravity, which is one of the only 3D movies that I've ever actually gone to see. IMAX. And I saw it on IMAX, mm-hmm. right? Going to see that on the screen where my vision can get fully immersed in the world that is being built, the experience that is uh, unfolding in front of me. I cannot get that on a TV screen, mm-hmm. let alone any mobile device. And we'll get to that stuff a little bit later, too. So I feel like certain films especially require that experience. When we went and saw Les Mets in the theater... Oh, my gosh. There is really something mm-hmm. to that song, I Dreamed a Dream, by sung by Anne Hathaway. When that camera is getting closer and closer to Anne Hathaway, and you see that on the screen, it builds the emotion, it builds the intimacy, it builds what you are witnessing her feelings are so much more than what my living room TV screen would have, mm. right? You, you get more wrapped up in the experience by going to the theater. And as a result, you're getting to experience what the filmmaker intended uh, for, the ex- for the audience. That's a really good point. That's the medium they shot for. Yes. Yes. Now, that said, that's not always the case. You get, you know, small dramas or mm-hmm. comedies. Do you think those movies require the silver screen experience? I think every film should go through the silver screen. Okay. I think that's great. Okay. Do you, viewer at home, need to go see a particular movie on the screen? No, not necessarily. Let's talk about seating. Okay. I I think we both have our own preferences (laughs) uh, for seating. Mm -hmm. They are very different. Why don't don't you share what your preference is? Uh, Is it particular? If I was going to the cinema by myself, Mm -hmm. I would try to make sure that I got a middle seat by where the railing is so that I could put my feet on the railing. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love sitting there. I am totally happy sitting there. Mm -hmm. Um, How I used to sit with my family is we always used to sit either at the furthest back row Mm -hmm. or the second from the back row, Mm -hmm. and it would always be an aisle seat. And okay. I was so always off to the left or off to the right. Yeah, and I was always cool with that. However, when I was eight, no, I beg your pardon, I was ten. Star Wars got re-released in the cinemas, mm-hmm. and it was for my birthday party, and we all went and sat on the floor Holy below cow. the screen. Wow! And that was very exciting, lying down and looking up at Star Wars wow. at age ten. It was very cool. Okay. So, but now in my life with you i kind of don't care um that that, that works out well (laughs) sometimes i'm like but the bar is available i want to go to the bar (laughs) the railing and yeah so that's my preference why don't you share yours so my preference has become has evolved over the years to find the ideal seat where it's not going to be too close to the screen where First of all, I have to pan my head back and forth in order to see what's going on. But also, it's too close for me to understand 
like the action that's happening on the screen, mm-hmm. right? Because it's happening too quickly. So usually the third or, or, or fourth row from the front, uh, maybe the fifth row, uh, because I want to also be close enough where it, my entire view is just the screen. So that way I'm able to actually be fully immersed in the experience that's uh, unfolding in front of me. I've been in the stadium seating uh, in the back and such, and I don't prefer it necessarily as much because you get far enough away and it just feels like a big TV screen. And you have all these people below you who whatever they do can affect your, can take you out of the movie. Hmm, I see what you're saying. And so I prefer something where I'm close enough where I can get immersed into what's happening in front of me, but not too close. And I like to be as central as possible because it just feels awkward to me looking at a movie screen from the side, so mm-hmm. to speak so to speak. So I try to get um, as, as middle or central as possible. Mm-hmm. Now, in recent years, in this area, we've seen the emergence of reserved seating. This is interesting. Yeah, so what are your feelings on reserved seating? Because I feel like there's pros and there's cons. I grew up with reserved seating. Oh, okay. That's how they do it in South Africa. It's always been that way. I believe the small theaters, the small art house theaters, they were not reserved seating. Okay. But I'm sure if they were buzzing all the time, it would be. And I like that. I like being able to see a screen of seats and picking where I get to sit. Unfortunately, if you didn't get to that ticket booth first, you may lose out on the seat that you want. I know Mm. that happened to us when we were going to watch something. It's happened to us a few times when we were, especially like at the time, we needed to get to a a screening in Lakewood. Mm -hmm. And Lakewood was reserve seating and... You drive up there, and then you find out you're there too late in order to get two seats together. That's true. So, okay, here's what I and don't... That's one of the cons of it, I feel. Yeah. Here's what I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. I love that you have Lazy Boys in your cinema, and you'll find that it's the Lazy Boy cinemas that have reserved seating right now. Yeah, yeah. I love that you have those seats. Mm-hmm. Great. But you were not thinking about how much that was going to downsize the capacity you could hold sure and how annoying that would be for moviegoers if they got there too late so i get that you should just adapt to how that cinema is going yeah i think the best tips we can give is make sure that you know what kind of seating your cinema provides yeah and if it is the really nice cushy things chances are you probably have to book ahead of time your seats and rather just phone ahead or book online. That's what I would offer. Yeah, if you can't do Fandango, definitely go there a half an hour or so before the screening. If it's at a mall or whatever, you're in luck. You can do some shopping before uh, the movie. Or if you plan on doing shopping before the movie anyway, uh, definitely purchase uh, the tickets first, then do what your business is, and then come back and watch the movie. Because, yeah, I feel like that is one of the drawbacks to reserve seating mm. is... If you're with a group of people or even just a couple, mm-hmm. it can be hard to get seats together. Sometimes. Yeah, to stick Especially together. Especially if you are like me. Yeah. You have a particular 
That's my spot. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Sheldon. Yeah, yeah, the Sheldon of movie theaters. <laughs> now, know. that being said, yeah. the first time my best friend Vilri took me to the cinema in America, mm-hmm. and she told me that we get to pick where we sit when we get in there, mm-hmm. I felt like a kid that had been cramped in a house all summer long, yeah. and it was the last week of summer vacation, and I was allowed to run wild. Right. That's what it felt like. So that's a non-reserved screening. Yeah. Yeah. So I enjoy that. Yeah, that is one of the the other side of that coin is you have more seats, so more than likely you have more um, available seats to, to end. So therefore, if you're running behind, mm-hmm. not that you should ever purposely... <laughs> run behind in Don't our be opinion <laughs> but if you are running behind and you end up getting there when the trailers are going let's say mm-hmm. you still more than likely have plenty of seats available unless it's a star wars film then you're just up a shit creek and you just get the next viewing <laughs> well and i think that here's the thing with unreserved seating the people that really care about the film mm-hmm. industry yeah. who care about where they sit they will get there early and the people that don't really mind who don't feel like that's a priority they'll get there when they get there and they won't yeah worry or mind where they sit i i really don't like carpooling with those people (laughs) um but don't uh, carpool i will say the the good thing i agree about reserve seating is man the seats are usually way better they're Mm. really fripping nice Mm -hmm. and usually the amenities of the location is is a lot nicer than non-reserved seating Uh, so that said let's talk about etiquette so we touched a little bit uh, on some etiquette first of all oh gosh where to begin well let's start with children children need help their fine motor skills are still developing even at age 10 And maybe at age 10, their fine motor skills are fine, but maybe they want to piss you off. So go ahead and help them open their candies, please. Before the movie starts. Trailers. If you get there before the trailers, and if you can help them before the trailers, that's even better. Mm. And then the person sitting next to you is not going to send bad vibes to your kid. Right. You know, so it's... And it's just so much easier for them to... Their kids, they're going to look at the movie screen. When you're bringing kids to the theater, they want to have a good time too. So helping them with all of that is great. Going to the bathroom before the film starts, that's great. Now, if you have kids that are being potty trained, I highly recommend like giving up the seats that you want and go for an aisle seat that's near the exit. Right. So, So, okay. Lots of different things you just touched on Mm -hmm. that I have thoughts about. Okay. So... Let's go backwards. First of all, you mentioned the kids who are wanting to be potty trained. Mm-hmm. If you are fortunate enough to live in an area where they have theaters that have these sound booths where it's, it's, it's called crying rooms. Do we have those? No, we don't. What? But if you're fortunate enough to live in a near theater that has crying rooms, mm. by all means, take any children you have below the age of five to those theaters mm. okay because i mean those are designed to allow ki- those kids those ages to be kids those ages right 
Yeah, because you want them to be kids. You don't want to have to scold them in the movie house. Kids will remember that forever. Yeah, and, and well, at the same time, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because, it, you know, you want them to remember that the movie theater is not the living room. And that's the biggest thing uh, in terms of etiquette. Mm. You know, make sure your kids, if they have something to say during the movie, they whisper to you. They're not like, what do you say? You know, like shouting or anything or running uh, around. Or whatever, I have thoughts know? on that. Yeah, okay, well, hold on. Let me okay. just get through. So that, that age group, I personally would not take kids under, especially under the age of three, even under the age of four, I would say, to the movie theater because part of me thinks, what's the point? They're not going to remember that movie at mm. that point in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to remember watching it when it was on video at home, you know? They're not going to remember having gone to the theater to see it. They're not going to remember that experience, you know? So odds are good that during that whole experience, they're probably getting up a lot. They probably didn't uh, stay focused on it. And, you know, they're just attention spans at that age, four and less, are just so much smaller. Well, I think you need a... It doesn't lend itself to the theater experience. I think you need to gauge your kid because I was totally focused on films from a young age. You Yes, absolutely. It depends on the kid. But taking that in mind. Everything I say, well, it depends on the kid. (laughs) But generally speaking, this is true. (laughs) But yeah, you you gotta condition your kid to understand... The theater experience Mm -hmm. is not the living room experience, you know, where they can uh, be as casual as they want about watching the movie. They can, if you're, if you have a rowdy household, they can be rowdy, you know, on the couch or whatever, you know, they can pause the damn movie. You can't pause a movie screening, (laughs) you know, or to go to the bathroom or whatever it is, you know. Kid etiquette is so important. Mm. And don't take anyone under the age of 10 to a movie that's rated R? Please don't be the parents we sat next to in Deadpool. Yeah, I I would say I mean, something like that. Don't even take a preteen. At least do... I mean, come on. At least go see it by yourself first. That's what we did for the movie Logan. We thought, well, you know what? We're going to go check it out and see it because we want to see it. But if it's okay... If we find out that it's actually okay, we're going to evaluate it and then we'll take Logan, our Logan. Right, but yeah. it turned out that was a very good idea for us to do yeah. because it really isn't for a 10-year-old no, either. No, You can almost say a good rule of thumb is if the movie's rated R, it's not for anyone under the age of 15, flat out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just, just go by that rule of thumb. So anyway, moving on from kids, you know, that's just an element of one of the things that you were talking about, which Mm -hmm. was overall etiquette. One of the things that I want to speak to that you had said was um, talking. You know, you talked a lot about doing things before the movie, uh, opening candy before the movie, making any kind of noise, even during the trailer. In my opinion, do what you got to do before the movie starts. If you want to talk with your friends during the trailers even, fine. But make sure, A, your cell phone is silenced before the movie starts. You're not texting. You got all your texting all done. Any social media you got to do, make sure it's done before the movie starts. 
any conversations you want to have with your friends, make sure it's done before the movie starts. You got to open that candy or whatever, man. You better not be uh, wrinkling the package. Are you about the same on board here about that? I feel very much the same. And look, I get get it. I'm very attuned to kiddos and their needs. And I'm very attuned to teenagers and their excitement. And I'm incredibly attuned to geeks and geek outs during the film. But you really do need to keep it down. And you also need to keep your talking to a minimum. Right. You know, there's people... Not conversational talking is the, is the issue, right? Yeah. Not reacting to what's going on in the movie. And the phone thing, I really feel that if you are on call... My dad was on call all the time. Yeah. You put your phone to vibrate. Yes. That's why it's there. Yes. It's to help you out. And then you get out of the cinema. Yes. Because chances are you actually do need to talk to that person and you need to hear what they're saying and you need to be a decent human being and be present with that conversation. Yeah, I understand. There's other people around you and they did not pay 10 bucks to hear your conversation on your And it's not even 10 bucks. You think of two people going to the cinema, it's actually coming out to about 40 bucks. Right, You've got to include the concessions. Well, there's, there's other things. That's the entire point. There's other things to consider other than you. Right? So be mindful, be respectful. One thing I've been very impressed over the past five years is even major movie chains have been showing promos immediately before a movie starts that's telling you, shut the fuck up and and keep your (laughs) cell phone silenced, right? Most aren't that blunt about it. There is a a chain, though, that comes from Texas called the Alamo Drafthouse that has been very clever and almost that blunt about it that I personally feel is kind of awesome. And they will they will aggressively kick you out if you are proving to be a disturbance during the movies in, in any way. And people like me kind of love that because honestly, most major movie chain employees are a little meek and mild. And I don't think they're necessarily trained to deal with a social situation where someone's being a disturbance. Well, and these days in the American theater chains, I mean, it's really important that people come back, you know, so they really need to be training their employees to step up. Otherwise, they're not going to be around for very, for very long. I mean, there's, if you pay attention at all to movie chatter uh, in the industry, there's a lot of talk about closing the, the theater uh release gap and everything so it's very important that they retain the ticket sales as much as possible and have that repeat business Mm. so they need to step up but you can also step up too and not be afraid of dealing with that person who's being obnoxious you can prevent obnoxious people (laughs) (laughs) right yeah don't don't be afraid to just politely Tap them on the shoulder or say something. Oh, yeah. If something is a problem. Because the alternative is you sit there and you end up having a terrible experience for the next two hours. Uh, yeah. And that yeah, I agree. sucks, man. Because you don't want your first experience to be ruined. You never get that back, you know, with a, mm. with a movie. And that's actually why also, nice little we're, uh, segue in a little bit here. My thought process, even with home viewing, is... If I'm showing somebody a movie for the first time, mm-hmm. 
I really try to to keep my mouth shut as much as possible because <laughs> I don't want to interrupt their experience, right? Mm-hmm. If they're the if that said, if they're the kind of personality who doesn't really care and they're talking themselves, you know, not like full on conversations, but you know, they're a little more gabby than you would be in a movie theater or whatever, then I'll follow that lead. Yeah. But I let them lead with that and I otherwise try to be respectful and let them try not to take them out of the movie essentially right even if it's in the living room and there are coming back to the cinema there are pockets in the cinema where you could sing along to a film where you could geek out to a film Mm -hmm. and go ahead and find those pockets because it's different for every cinema house and sit there and geek out there because when i watched x-men apocalypse which i was incredibly excited for Mm -hmm. we had some very excited geeky people behind us Uh and the thing is it was too loud they were just being too darn loud and they were just being what were they doing oh they were like oh you have no idea what you did you have no idea what you did (laughs) and i was like no i feel the same way but listen you need to shut up so well that's interesting because sometimes comments can add to the experience for everybody everybody ends up laughing but that, that wasn't helpful. And that that particular experience, it wasn't like they were trying to say it loud enough for everybody to hear. It was like they were reacting with their buddies, and we were in a 10-foot radius. It was two buddies. Yeah. And, my love, the people in front of us could hear the people behind us. So it was pretty yes. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what you can do in that situation is just turn around gently and say, Excuse me, can you please keep it down? Yeah. Another thing you can do is I had a very rambunctious child behind me. Was kicking your seat or something? Oh, it was terrible. And the thing is, she was with her parents and they weren't doing anything. And because it was so bad, I actually stood up and I said, could you please have your child stop kicking my seat? It would make it such a better experience. And you've just got to find your voice according to the situation. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Now, moving on to the home a lot of people now have a lot of options available to them there are a lot of different streaming services you have your netflix you have your hulus your amazon primes but you also have your services like shutter fandor and like Sundance, you can get a subscription to stars. Oh, that sounds like a great birthday gift. Tribeca, there's 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 like at least a dozen different services, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot, and it's a lot to follow, and it is a lot to uh, subscribe to, right? So, what are your thoughts on on streaming? Do you have preferred channels? I love Hulu. Mm-hmm. I love that you get a little bit of the recent stuff. I love that. I don't know if this was the case when I first started with Hulu and mm-hmm. before we got married, but they have past stuff too. And we got to check it out recently after being without it for three, four years. And I saw that they had Gravity Falls, a Disney show, mm-hmm. and they had the whole seasons. And I was very determined to bring back my Hulu subscription after seeing that. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Hulu and I'm a big fan of Netflix and I like both of them because they actually complement each other fairly well. Mm -hmm. When something kind of goes away from Netflix, chances are you'll be able to find it on Hulu. I've noticed that recently too. Yeah. 
And I love that Hulu will have my latest episodes on Scandal, but then Netflix has all the past seasons mm. that I can totally binge on. Well, and Hulu without have, adverts. Hulu will have past seasons too. Well, uh, yeah. Sometimes. But as I said, without adverts is on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, that's, so true. that's true. I can deal with current stuff with adverts, and recently it's been, they ask me, do I prefer this kind of advert or that kind of advert? Which no, I appreciate, not, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. That's not always the case. If you want to know say. how to market to me, ask me what I want and I'll actually tell you. Yeah, you're right. That is, on a business marketing level, that is actually a really interesting and smart mm-hmm. idea. It doesn't happen all the time, though. I've only yeah. noticed it like maybe 20% of the time. And I understand the purpose of advertising. I understand yeah. that that's who's helping pay yeah. and uh, make the subscription only $8 for us a month. Right. So I am totally fine with watching an advert, but don't show me a freaking Viagra advert yeah. for the umpteenth time while I'm watching a female empowerment show. I'm not interested. Right. Yeah, Hulu definitely has that issue. Well, sure. no, I haven't seen that with Hulu. I see that with cable. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, like on demand? Yeah. Yeah, that's And right. I'm like, are you ki- Who? is doing the product placement here people so that's and i love hbo we didn't get a lot of hbo in south africa growing Mm -hmm. up and we didn't even have an hbo channel yeah so when i came over and i was like i can have this all for myself yes sign me up take my money whatever you need yeah so i love i love those i think you have to research all as many channels as possible before before you figure out your perfect combination and cater it to your taste as much as possible because there you don't chances are you don't need every channel uh, some are very niche interests yeah you know and some have overlap like you probably don't need HBO if you're not into intense drama if you're not into right. blood and gore if you're not into any shows that show any kind of sexual well, I interactions. Well, mean, you're talking about the original programming, and most. Well, I, it's still a bit like that, and then we've got yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah. So. Yeah. See, I think the reason to go for HBO is, for the most part, not the movies they have, but for the original programming they have, be it their own movies or TV shows. I do like their documentary section. They're well, out and that's, of, that's all original content usually uh with a few exceptions so out of all the the things that i listed that i enjoy i feel like hbo is the best place for me to go for documentaries Mm, because they do such a great job and they have so many yeah so for me my and i should preface by saying we have no relationships with any of these streaming services no Uh, we don't have any sponsorships yet no we have (laughs) nothing at all they're not paying us if I have opinions at all but my perfect recipe sort of for streaming is and it's, it's hard to, to avoid some overlap with this but I feel like if you have Hulu you have pretty much everything you need for a TV and unless you're interested in Netflix's original content their original shows and or HBO's original shows um, Amazon has some original shows too. I feel like. Yes, I forgot constant. about Amazon. They are m- one of my favorite too. I feel like their original programming is kind of the not as high on the run 
you know, you have Transparent as their biggest hit, but there's not really much else, I think, that they've they've created that's noteworthy. Well... As opposed to, like, Netflix, they have all the Marvel TV shows, they have Orange is the New Black, and all these other uh, shows that are... They have Chewing Gum. (laughs) Chewing Gum, right, which you talked about earlier. So I prefer those. My streaming habits are quite a bit different from yours, though. I find... More often than not, I use streaming just for TV. Sometimes, if I'm researching something and I want to see a movie I've never seen before by a particular filmmaker or what have you, I'll look to see if the my streaming platforms available, uh, which are Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now, if they have those available. But for the most part, something about, maybe it's the whole binge aspect of streaming, makes me prefer watching shows rather than movies uh, for streaming. What about you? What's What's your streaming habits? I have always been a binge watcher, like before that was even a term. Right. So I love watching TV shows, mm-hmm. but I, I also, if it's available right there on my TV, mm-hmm. I don't have to get up and get the DVD, I'm going to do it. So mm-hmm. I am a fan of digital copies mm-hmm. and yes. vo- Vudu, V-U-D-U, and Disney. Well, you that's the app. Okay. Vudu is the app. Oh, okay, okay. V-U-D-U. And Disney Movies Anywhere, mm-hmm. because here's the thing. I am traveling. Mm-hmm. I am moving around. Mm-hmm. I am house sitting. I am doing overnight care of children. Yeah. I want to be able to watch my bad moms mm. without popping it in the TV at their place right. or whatever. Yeah. So I find that highly convenient if I can. But I do. That being said, if if I do have the DVD, sometimes I will go to it because of the special features. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of all over the place, really. There isn't a particular theme to what I'm doing. Yeah, you're a much bigger fan of streaming movies and mobile streaming uh, than I am. I, I am very much, uh, particularly with movies, I am very much the physical format only. Uh, I, I Something about having the physical format will always be near and dear to me having the disc having the packaging all that physical tangible product yeah i'm I'm a big uh, fan of and uh and i'm also a bit of a purist in terms of how a filmmaker intended a movie to be seen so as such i'm not a fan of tablets we're getting into devices here yeah i'm not a fan of tablets i'm not a fan of watching on the phone um, whatever sort of thing that's not a TV. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't even watch on a laptop uh, usually, uh, whereas you are very much the opposite. Thing. Well, if I'm in the... We do not have a TV in our kitchen. Now, I grew right. up with a TV in just about every room, mm-hmm. including the kitchen, because we would spend hours in the kitchen. And what better way to do it than to have a comedy playing? Right. So I will take the laptop and I will take the iPad Pro into the kitchen with me. Right. With whatever's streaming. Right. So those are our movie-going habits and etiquettes. If you have anything you'd like to add or just tell us, what are your uh, movie-going habits? What are some etiquette pet peeves that you have in the movie theater maybe? Uh, feel free to email the Gibson Review at gmail.com. 
Uh, we're running really long today, so we should uh, let's move on to our film faves section. What is film faves? Film faves was a feature on the Gibson Review blog where I would march through time and count down my 12 favorite movies of each year. And so what um, we decided to do is we make it a part of each episode. Usually it's uh, having to do with a year, but sometimes it will be some related topic to the episode. This week, we are going to be counting down our 12 favorite movies of 2015. Why 12? Because a lot of lists, they have their 5 or 10 favorites, and then they have some honorable mentions. We cut out all the uh, BS, no honorable mentions. Just the list. These are our favorites. So, with that in mind, Shanna, do you want to start us off with your number 12 movie of 2015? Absolutely. My number 12 was Sicario. This was an incredibly beautiful film. The mm -hmm. cinematography was just outstanding. I mean, I could pause the film and analyze so many different shots of the film separately which is obviously as you guys know by now is a passion of mine but it, it's an incredibly difficult film to get through uh one day i said to jeff oh you know i really feel like that and i was trying to feel good <laughs> and it was the wrong choice yeah. <laughs> it was the wrong film to put in and there's a lot of symbolism happening mm. in the film there's a, a silhouetted skyline yeah. um, a night sky happening Gorgeous. and yeah. these the people are going into their mission but as they're going down a hill it's like they're being swallowed by the blackness and yeah. uncertainty and yeah. so much you can read into it but the acting was fantastic yeah. i mean yeah. very difficult subject matter and i wonder what exercises they went through to get themselves into the state what an interesting viewpoint of these agents of security for our country mm. to see so that was my number 12. What is yours? Uh, my number 12 is The Martian by Ridley Scott, starring Matt Damon. And first of all, it has an interesting balance of smart sci-fi, but also being really funny and kind of being a little bit of a, a populist uh, crowd pleaser. But also what I love about it is it's just a gorgeous film. I mean, I feel like my 50-inch TV doesn't do the cinematography justice when the camera's up above looking down on the Mars landscape and you see this little tiny, you know, vehicle that Matt Damon's driving, uh, drive along. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it's, there's a lot of great performances in it. It's really smart. It's not the highest of highbrow sci-fi. You, you know, it's not 2001. It's not Arrival or whatever. But it's just really enjoyable uh, without insulting my intelligence. And it's just a lot of fun and a gorgeous movie to watch. That's my number 12. That's uh, The Martian. What is uh, your number 11? My 11 is Mission Impossible. Oh, Rogue uh, Nation? Yes. Excellent. I love the badass action that happens in this film. And you know what? Tom Cruise would probably die in several situations, but it was <laughs> right. still cool seeing yeah, his body real. take hit after hit. And Simon Pegg is a favorite of mine. Yeah, I love that great. man's face. It's just his expressions are amazing. 
What is your number 11? That is awesome. I'm, I'm surprised and, and impressed to see that on your list. My number 11 is Spy, starring Melissa McCarthy. Ah! I love it. Uh, that was a movie just watching the trailer. Yeah, it looks like it could be fun, but it could go either way. Thankfully, it was a blast. <laughs> it's hilarious. She's Melissa awesome. McCarthy is awesome. Jason Statham takes oh a great God. comedic turn in this movie. <laughs> oh, what a he's, dumbass. He's yes, great. <laughs> he's fantastic. He clearly has a sense of humor. He has a sense of humor about himself. Rose Byrne. <laughs> Also, great oh, I comedic actress. Yeah, so uh, that that movie is uh, is a blast, and so it's my number eleven. Fantastic, my number ten is Lady in the Van. Oh, really? Maggie Smith has been a favorite of mine ever since I watched The Secret Garden. She uh-huh. has a small part in that. Okay. But I don't remember how old I was when I got to see that. But I was like, this woman is amazing, and just. Uh-huh radiates fantastic talent i just i love i love watching british films okay because i think they have such a funny sense of humor and i think that they're so hard and dry on the outside but on the inside they're like totally different um at least in the films yeah something that i really enjoyed about it was the creative process the property that Maggie Smith decides to park her van on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is occupied by a writer. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. So for all you creatives out there, go and check that movie out because there's a wonderful scene where he's actually, what it looks like to the viewer is he has split himself in two. So it looks like he's talking to a twin brother, but really he's talking to the logical side of his brain and the logical side of his brain is talking to the creative side of his brain. And it's this fantastic, completely realistic conversation that goes on in creatives minds. So that's, that's my number 10. What is yours? Very good. Very good. My number 10 is uh, spotlight, which is available to stream on Netflix. Uh, My other two movies uh, as far as I could tell, are not available to stream. Although everything you could probably find to rent on Amazon. That goes without saying. So Spotlight, when I saw that movie, I knew it was the best movie I had seen of that year. Mm. It, it has an interesting subject matter that can be a little off-putting for some people because it is about a, a team of reporters investigating a Catholic Church molesting kids. And team of reporters, not off-putting. Molesting kids, a church molesting kids, can seem off-putting at first. But what's impressive about the movie is it doesn't rake you over the coals with that content. It's really focusing on the investigation part, the, the reporting, the researching. And if you're a fan of All the President's Men, movies that really focuses on journalism Mm -hmm. you're going to really enjoy spotlight it's a great team great cast and uh it's a movie that stuck with me and really grew on me uh way past the uh credit roll Mm -hmm. so yeah that's my number 10 and it's available on netflix yeah so my number nine is spy i loved this 
movie so much. Man, it touches on so many issues women have to deal with, so many things that are relatable. Um, you've got this whole, oh, I'm going to make myself small so that I can make the person I have a crush on seem bigger, larger than life, but actually I'm more larger than life than him oh, or yeah. her. Yeah, and that, that was fantastic and mm -hmm. such a great surprise too. And Well, and also she has the, the co-workers who completely disregard her. You yes, know? no one treats her with respect and no one believes in her and she mm. proves everyone wrong because she's melissa mccarthy people she will prove everyone wrong right. so i i really enjoyed it and i love the banter between all the women mm. and that can be how women banter nowadays <laughs> it was very up to date i loved how her and the villain were chatting i thought that was hilarious that's definitely how certain women are i have seen it in person and i'm not kidding it's for real so i just i i put that movie in when i need to feel good so everybody yeah. everybody should watch it yeah, what is your number nine my number nine is sicario it's interesting how we're having some overlap this film is available on Amazon Prime, and the only of the things Yay. that I would touch on that Shanna didn't already is uh, a the score by Johan Johansson. Oh, good. That really that really stood out as one of the best scores of the year. I don't think I could be wrong. I don't think it was nominated for an Oscar. Johan Johansson just gets um just short shrifted, man. He 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 needs he needs some awards, and. Also, one of the things that really impressed me about it was Emily Blunt's character. First of all, I love Emily Blunt. Big uh, Emily Blunt fan over yeah. here. But uh, her character was a really fascinating female character uh, going into this CIA, into the drug war. She's just really complex, really strong, uh, but also she has limits to, to her, too, that you end up you know, finding, you know, she ends up struggling with in the end of the near the end of the movie uh but just uh, yeah she's really fantastic it's it's a solid film it was my i thought it was the second best movie i saw that year mm. it's uh my number nine and you can find that on amazon prime okay my next one is woman in gold oh okay i haven't seen that one i am a big fan of helen Mirren. i love whatever she's in but this was really quite an enjoyable story. I wasn't aware of what this was based on. It's based on true events. Oh. You know, there really was a painting of her aunt and she really was trying to get it back because it did really belong to her. It was taken by the Nazis and then the Nazis, you know, sold it to whoever and it ended up wherever and she was trying to get it back. Mm -hmm. Just a really good story. I loved how she remembered her past, mm -hmm. how she remembered when the Nazis were coming into her country mm -hmm. and taking Jews away. And uh, I loved how they portrayed that. It was a little different to what, I've, what I am familiar with in the film world. What is your number eight? My number eight is Love and Mercy. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Oh my God. That oh. was a good film. Yes. That's another movie that really stuck with me and grew on me over time it, it stars paul dano and john cusack as brian wilson the creative genius behind the beach boys in two different areas of his life i feel like it was an overlooked movie overall 
I feel like it should have been a Best Picture nominee. Yes. A lot of people complain that it's a slightly disjointed between these two performers, but I really feel like they both capture so much of an essence of Brian Wilson. I felt a similarity between the two. Mm. I did not feel like, oh man, these two people look nothing alike. They, they they capture something so well that I I believed that it was the same person. Yeah. One in middle age, one in his 20s or whatever. Yeah. And just really briefly, the Paul Dano section is probably my favorite, although Elizabeth Banks and John Cusack do a really great job with, the, with uh, that area of Brian Wilson's life. But why why the Paul Dano section is my favorite is because you get to see I feel like what it's like for a creative person yes to have these things swimming around in their head and they want they have to get it out. There's a particular recording session of it's it's he, he comes up with the album Pet Sounds essentially while the rest of the Beach Boys are in Japan and he hires the Wrecking Crew which were a set of studio musicians right. And just that recording process, hearing the song come into its being, is probably the most exciting part of the movie for me. Like, it's just so cool. You know, and then you get after that what it's like for someone who's so creative to have outside forces hear what they're doing even though it's not fully formed yet and then get resistance yes you know this isn't what we do this isn't the norm this isn't conventional stick with what we know what have you done while we're away (laughs) yeah yeah so anyway it's uh, i I love this movie it's a great movie i feel you can find it though right now on hulu if you want to catch up i'm gonna go watch that now (laughs) (laughs) i i also have to just quickly say it does do a very good job of showing what the creative mind is like Mm. i remember having a mind like that when i was about seven yeah and then i got put on ritalin so i just want people to know that that is what it feels like when you're creative or in the creative zone we should just say really quickly though like in his case he ended up actually having um, a mental disorder mm. uh, that he struggled with the, the rest of his life, which mm. is what the second half deals with. But uh, So not all creators are like that, but <laughs> yes. So what's your number seven? Now, my number seven, I only just recently added it to my watch list, and it's The Dressmaker. Are you kidding me? Oh, my is God. Is that a 2015 movie? Yeah. Yes. When I saw it on the 2015 list, I was like, yes, I get to talk about it. Okay. I really loved this film. Man, I love seeing different cultures. I love seeing movies set in different countries. And they're actually, it's not just, oh, you know, it's Lord of the Rings and we're going to go shoot in New Zealand. No. I love it when you go to that country and those are your actors. This movie is set in Australia? Indeed. Okay. Okay. And it stars Kate Winslet. Yes, it does. And I, I am a fan of hers as well. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Um, I love her Oscar thank you speech too, where she personally thanks her father. I love that. Mm. But anyway, what you see in this film is this woman arrives to this town late at night, and she is really f- well-dressed, and she has her Singer sewing machine. So if you're a big sewing fan you're gonna love this movie Mm. lots of little things to keep your eyes open for it really is a one-horse town there is one street and Mm. a couple houses and a school and a grocery and the doctor's over there and that's it 
you only need one road for this town. Mm. And she's trying to put together the pieces of her past. She doesn't remember what happened. And she got put in a very particular kind of situation. And now that she's much older, she's trying to figure out what put her there. And is she who she has been told she is? Lots of fun stuff happens in this film. Again, you've got some Australian humor happening. So it's fun to learn about that. She also goes through this really interesting character arc. So she's not who she was when we first saw her. She's completely different at the end. And I I thought she was a really great female character. That's available on Amazon Prime. Excellent. Awesome. I think it's made by them too. Oh, made, okay. by, made by Amazon. So oh, cool, it's cool. one of their films. Right on. And I think they did a great job. So well done, Amazon. We want to see more like that. Very good. Very good. My number seven is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which is the fifth film in the <laughs> Mission Impossible series. Which mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, with the exception of Mission Impossible 2, I think this has been a consistent action series quality-wise. Every single entry is is a, is different from the previous one but every, almost every single entry is solid and you know they're always trying to figure out how to one-up the stunts of the previous one you know and you know you could argue whether or not they actually succeed in doing that but with this one what stands out to me is Rebecca Ferguson this movie introduced to me and probably the world, Rebecca Ferguson, who is fantastic in mm-hmm. it. You know, I, I think in particular about the opera sequence where she's wearing that amazing gold. <laughs> I think it's gold. Um, yeah, it's a like dress. a gold yellow. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, she looks amazing. Well, in and then she does. And she kicks ass. She does this yeah. amazing move where she goes over someone's shoulders and yeah. With high heels too. Yeah, with high heels. Yeah. I'm like, I couldn't even stand up in those things. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You know, I really feel like Mission Impossible is a reliable series that you will never go wrong by going to see it at the theater. Yeah. Uh, so it's my number seven, and it's available right now on Amazon Prime. Oh, how fun. So my number... Six. ...is Spotlight. Oh. I thought this was such a well-made film. Um, I thought they did a really great job with the subject matter which, you know, you've already mentioned. It was also a great film that showed how a community can keep things under wrap Mm. for the protection of something that maybe shouldn't be protected in that particular way. Yeah. Um, And it's also... Boston we're talking about. That's a big community. It's a very passionate community, too. So, I mean... I'd love to know the history of Boston. I think there'd be a lot of material there. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I felt like they did a really great job of showing how this kind of thing can affect the victims' lives because they go to the victims oh, yeah. when they're adults. Yeah. And the adults are like, I, I thought it was okay. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I thought I did something wrong and I wanted to trust this person. And it shows just how much power these priests had. Yeah, totally. To get away with anything. And that's why you have to be so careful. And you really need to listen to people when they say, hey, listen, this person is taking advantage of their power. One of the lines that stood out to me to that point, and I'm paraphrasing, but someone says, a key character says at one point, when this happens, 
it's not just a, a physical molestation. It's like a, a religious molestation because it affects your relationship to God. Yeah. And, uh, your relationship to faith and religion in general for the rest of your life. That's really interesting. Mm. So, yeah, what's um, your next film? Let's see. My number six is Creed, which was huh. a big surprise. Now, I have a, a, an interesting relationship with the Rocky series. For a while, I'd only seen the first film, and that's. And, and I'd seen the sixth film, Rocky Balboa, and that was it. Uh, I understood everything in between wasn't worth seeing. But I did see number two and three, and it, the series gets worse as it goes oh, on. No. Right? Rocky Balboa was still Stallone revisiting the character at an older age. And that was good. That was interesting. It was, you know, maybe about as good as number two. Creed is amazing it is it is on par with the very first rocky film i feel and it did a hell of a job revisiting this series this character mm. rocky who actually plays a supporting role this time the development of that character is something you don't want to really talk too much about mm. you want to kind of experience what happens it's definitely Creed's story, who's played by Michael B. Jordan. He's kind of the son of Apollo Creed. I love Creed. him. Oh, he, and he's great, I love right? that actor. Yeah, he's, he's, he's great in this movie, and the, the way they shot the fights uh, is refreshing. It still has managed to feel exciting. It is a crowd pleaser. You want to get up and cheer during oh, cool. the fights, which you... <laughs> probably didn't think was still possible after seeing dozens and dozens of boxing movies and after a while you're like well what else can you possibly show me it's a freaking ring you know that's you know 20 by 20 <laughs> what angle are we going to do now <laughs> right you know um, yeah but somehow man they pull it off pull it off and it's it's touching it will you'll want to cheer you'll want to cry if you've seen the rocky series i think that's uh, especially at least half of the series I think that's the best way to go into it because it definitely honors the past. Uh, I can't say enough about it. It is a solid film, and uh, it's it was quickly one of my favorites of the year. Catch up with it. It's on Hulu right now. My number five is Room. Oh, really? Yes, with okay. Brie Larson. Yes, Brie Larson. Oh, oh God, she was terrific in this film. She deserved that Oscar <laughs> yeah, so yes, much. <laughs> you know, when you just know someone deserves that award. Yeah. I felt that with my whole being yeah. with Brie Larson from Absolutely. this film. It was so well written. It, the cinematography was great. Mm. I mean, they did so much with that little room that they were yeah. imprisoned in. and. Yeah. What I loved most about this film is how they explore the realism of what a person's life would be like once they get out of there. Mm, it doesn't yeah. end with her rescue. Yeah, it's... Man, I struggle with that because I, on the one hand, I felt like the trailer showed too much. Like, I really didn't That's why I know. feel like I'm not spoiling anything for anyone. Yeah, right I, now. I, I didn't want to know anything outside of that room mm. in that, that movie. But we find that the room is only half, literally half that story. 
And there's way there's way more that happens. And yes, it, that is well depicted. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and her again, her strength mm. is amazing. It just I love films that show what women are so capable of accomplishing mm. and feeling and fighting and the courage and just all the things. There's so much that she feels, and you can see it. You can sense it. You know, they're not spoon-feeding you what's going on in her head, but it's all there. And how interesting is it to see her son come from this very isolated world where he thought that room was the entire world. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, he's in the real world. Yeah, because he was born in the room. Yeah. And, and he think... was always presented as mm-hmm. room. It's actually a character in itself in the movie. Yes. Really, the way they refer to it even. Is room. Yeah, yeah. That's why part of, part of the reason why the movie is not called The Room. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I feel like, what a great depiction. Mm. It's almost like he's a baby again. But now this boy is five, six. Yeah, something like Kind that. of there yeah. in that age frame. Yeah. And now he has to learn all this new things, like what a sliding door is. At this age. Yeah, something that simple. What a haircut is. What light is. And how lights in a different room, in different dims, means. You're absolutely right. That was a a great film. Definitely not a feel-good film. No, you need to go into this ready to cry. So if you need to cleanse, this is a great (laughs) one. What is your number five, honey? My number five is What We Do in the Shadows. my god i love that one too man when i saw that i had to show you this movie this uh (laughs) you you may not be aware of this movie it's uh by taika waititi who is a kiwi director he directed hunt for the wilder people which i was mentioned in yet last episode Mm -hmm. and he's about to come out with the third thor film but what he does is oh, basically... Oh, that's going to be good. Sorry, I had to say yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So basically he takes the the documentary film premise, you know, that you so see... So like a mockumentary? Like, yes, like you see in The Office yes. or whatever, you know, that TV show. He takes that and basically says, what if you were to apply that aesthetic to an apartment full of vampires? And it is... <laughs> one of the most, the one of the wittiest, cleverest, most hilarious things you will see. Each, uh, each roommate in that film is basically represents a vampire archetype. You know, you have your Dracula archetype. You have your Lost Boys um, archetype. <laughs> you have your Nosferatu. Yeah. Oh and yes, it's, it's just great, great comedy i loved it i laughed out loud i had such a great time well and And it's it's so quotable too yeah that's my that's my number five that's um uh that might even be my favorite comedy of that year yes it is it's my favorite comedy of 2015 oh fine that's uh what we do in the shadows and it is on amazon prime so my number four is avengers age of ultron awesome now I love this film for so many reasons, Mm -hmm. but there's two reasons I'm going to mention. Okay. So the first one is I got to enjoy a bit of South Africa. Yes. Tell, tell, say say some more about that. There was a fight scene happening between Iron Man and Hulk. Yes. And it happened in Johannesburg. So it was really fun seeing branding that I understood, that I knew of, that I grew up with. It was fun seeing a South African skyline, Johannesburg. 
very heavily populated city. And Andy Serkis was in this film. Mm-hmm. And he was portraying a South African. And he, he One was, of his few live action performances. Yeah, and his accent was spot on. It mm. was so good. And so were his his mannerisms Mm -hmm. you know each culture has very particular mannerisms and he nailed them Mm -hmm. um and the second reason is stan lee this is my favorite stan lee cameo and i won't spoil what he does because it's always such a fun surprise but we got to comic-con emerald city comic-con oh i remember that yeah okay the party (laughs) and he said he answered someone's question that that was his favorite cameo too. And it was because you get to see him twice. Yeah, yeah two shots. Not what, one. what a fun way to honor the man who mm. created all of this for us, you know. Yeah. So that was, that was my number four. What's your number four? My number four is Mad Max Fury Road. I, man, okay. So this is a, some project that took a long time coming. Hmm. And usually when a movie takes a long time coming, like the production of it, the development of it, you're really not going to get a great movie. You know, it, it, it just, the, some, it, the production issues show. The passion kind of dwindles. Right. And on top of that, it's a Mad Max movie. And, you know, Mad Max ended with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And that, I mean, it ended with a whimper, in my opinion. Mm. That was early 80s. So you're like, you know, do we, what's it going to be really like? Is it going to be any good coming back to this franchise? Yeah. Holy shit, this is an amazing <laughs> movie. Not only was it uh, just a mind-blowing spectacle on the big screen. There's a big screen film. Yeah. You have to see that on the big screen. Right, right? Mm-hmm. But you have... You had some layers to that movie that you didn't necessarily see ever before in a Mad Max movie. Uh, you had a fan... And, and, and as a matter of fact, Mad Max literally takes a back seat to the story, right? Yes. I mean, he's not the hero. He, you know, he's not the road warrior, so to speak. Yes, they ask for his help, right? But that's because he's there. Right. If he but, wasn't there, I don't know. Charlie Theron's Furiosa. Mm-hmm. Now that is a, a, an icon, an instant icon. Wow, that's a good character. Yeah, yeah, just a mind-blowing movie. It was one of those movies that instantly became a must-see movie, and it is uh, easily one of the best movies of the decade, mm. uh, and certainly one of the best sci-fi films of the decade, if not one of the best post-apocalyptic movies ever made. Oh, yeah. That's a good list, actually. We should do that next. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> that's my number four, Mad Max Fury Road. My number three is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, shit, you're kidding me. And, right. So <laughs> um, what, what, what do you have to say about it? It is a t- it's, it's amazing. All the women in this film, you have different women being represented, mm. different kinds of women, yes. different mm. opinions, different shapings of women. Yes. And these women are fighting for their bodies. Yeah. They're fighting for their biological rights. They don't want to be impregnated. They don't want to be baby milking machines. Right. No, because that's kind of a valuable thing in that world. Right. And if anything is great about a post-apocalyptic film, it's what they bring to your attention. Post- Apocalyptic films are all about bringing attention to a topic that's happening now. 
and putting it in this environment that they can expand upon in mm. a different way. They're actually, in my opinion, trying to communicate to you, listen, this is going to be an issue down the line if we don't deal with it now in our yeah. real world. That's why it's happening in a post-apocalyptic film. <laughs> you know, let's think about that. There's logic to what's yeah, happening. So what are they talking about in this one? I feel like they have a fight for water. Yeah, they're fighting for gas. They're fighting for transportation. Yeah. They're, right. they're doing their own things. But really, if you look back at it, there's a fight for fresh water. And if you don't have fresh water, you're dead. There's... Yeah, it's, it's a, no human kind of a metaphor for life. Yeah. yeah. If you have gas, oh, sure, you can get from point A to point B. Well, that is always a staple of the, the series. Yeah. Uh, particularly in The Road Warrior, gas was a precious commodity. And then it's that whole power thing, isn't it? You've got this oh, yeah. disgusting embodiment of everything that is just not what you want in a leader. Yeah, and he's in power, he's in control, and he's creating his own world, and it's not a good world. He has control over women's bodies, he has control over people who are differently abled, and he treats them like they're the bottom of the pile. It's so much is happening here. I could go on and on, but yes, you could. fantastic that's cinematography. A, but too. that's a really great um, point too. Is Furiosa mm -hmm. is not only um, a wonderful feminist icon, mm -hmm. uh, but also she's a disabled. She has a disability mm -hmm. too. They don't make a, an issue out of it at yeah. all. Uh, it just is, and that's that's. Um, and she's the most kick-ass out of all of them. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. So that's, yes, we obviously feel strongly about this movie and could talk a long time mm -hmm. about it. But what is, uh, let's see, that was your number three. My number three is Inside Out. Ah, I love it. Pixar's best film. I agree. This decade. Mm -hmm. I really feel like Pixar, unfortunately, has been creatively limping uh, this decade, uh, I think... Toy Story 3 amazing and Inside Out are it everything else just I, I hate to say it but man they've they've suffered they've you know but Inside Out man that was brilliant um, but also the vocal performances are oh, fantastic so and as great as Joy yeah uh, who you think is the the person that you were meant to uh, love and is the person that you're supposed to care most about, but it turns out Joy is actually flawed, and there's somebody else going on um, alongside Joy who is um, the emotion that you should be embracing, right? Not only <laughs> as a character, but in real life. And that message is one of the one of the things that makes that film brilliant um, and probably I think we actually went through and watched all the Pixar films oh yeah and I could be wrong but I think we landed on Inside Out as the greatest Pixar film uh, to date so far I think it did became our, f our favorite yeah and I really think it is because of uh, this angle what they're what they're saying about our emotions uh, so yeah that's a, that's a great film it's fun too and it will make you cry there's a secret character 
Academy. Stop it. That wasn't in the uh, marketing at all. It was like a, the movie's secret weapon. That yeah. Just like, oh, I almost lose it every single time. Anyway, so that's my number uh, three film, Inside Out. I did not see that available to stream anywhere, as well as Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, what is your number two? <laughs> my number two is Inside Out. Oh my god, we're just a long <laughs> step here. It's what? Nuts. <laughs> What a wonderful way to humanize emotions and gain insight, respect, and understanding to them. And I feel like there's so much power in emotions when we understand where we're coming from, when we understand why we're feeling a certain way, we can let go mm. and we can move through things. And I will say that, yeah, you're going to bawl your eyes out the first time, but the more and more you watch it, because I've probably watched it 15 times, mm. the less you cry. Oh, you're becoming numb to it now. Not necessarily numb, but understanding. Okay. You know, there's so much empathy that gets exercised uh-huh. by the viewer on this film. I know that you said it's great for kids, but it's also great for adults. Oh, absolutely. So that's my number two. And of course, it was beautiful animation. Yes, definitely. What's your number two? Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, fun. First of all, it was a great experience at the movies. It was a lot of fun. I think it's, oddly enough, a a little bit of a maligned entry into the Marvel series. And I think unfairly so. Uh, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. It's not not quite like the Avengers, the first one. Uh, But I felt that what they, what James Spader did with the Ultron character was fantastic and i really do think that ultron is one of the best villains in the series he's just he's just an entertaining character you know and i love the introduction of you get the introduction here of vision scarlet witch and quicksilver vision's my favorite and vision is is translated perfectly but also, I really love Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch. Uh, she's she's great uh, in that in that in that role. I don't know. I just really had a great time with that movie. Avengers: Age of Ultron is my number two. All right, love. What is your favorite movie of twenty fifteen? It is Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Oh, of course. Because that's my number one. So let's talk about that one together i'm going to start with the whole disney buying the rights to star wars okay everybody was so upset i remember that week perfectly people that didn't even care about star wars were upset about disney getting the rights to star wars yeah i was excited about disney getting it because i knew they were going to do a good job we saw what happened with episode one two and three give someone else a chance well i mean i i I really feel like george lucas is the the issue there he decided to take complete control of those prequels i am not blaming anyone that man birthed a wonderful he did and we could debate yes that all day long all i'm saying is yeah disney did a good fucking job on this film yes that was the best movie going experience definitely Mm -hmm. of that year because we saw it at the cinerama in seattle is that right that was the second time we were waiting for for, that's that's why we almost went, waited. Yeah, yeah. So we went to our normal cinema for the first time, and yeah. then we went to the fancy one in Seattle. The cinerama, yeah. Um, the second time. And yeah. I'm always going to remember going to the film, 
because I never thought that something like this would happen in my life. Well, uh, another Star Wars would come out? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, that movie did everything right for the fans, you know, as well as tell a great continuation to the story. You got in that movie everything you loved about Star Wars and more. You loved the Millennium Falcon? Here's the fucking Millennium Falcon, and here's it doing what you heard it does best. And it is it is awesome. You love um, Han Solo? We're going to give you a great fucking introduction of Han Solo returning to the screen. And Chewie. And Chewie, you know? Uh, it's, you, got, you got all your favorites in there. It doesn't get chintzy with, with references or what have you of familiar characters or locations. And most importantly, it introduces new characters. And new that environments. You, that you love. But the characters, you love those new characters. Mm-hmm. Most especially, I think, and I think you agree with me on this, uh, the introduction of Rey. Oh my is, god, that's what every girl wanted to see. Oh my gosh, she's just incredible. She's such an awesome character. You know, mm-hmm. her arc in the, the movie, you know, she's always looking up in the sky and the stars. and. But know. she's a strong young woman. Well, yes, I know. I was getting into that. Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. You know, but she has this arc where she's stuck on this desert planet mm-hmm. and always looking up the stars, always seeing ships flying off into space, always dreaming of going back out there or going out there herself someday. And she gets that opportunity, and she reacts to that opportunity quite excitedly, right? Yeah. But what's great about her, too, is you have a character who introduces that opportunity to her, who's always, like, at first trying to offer a hand to help her up or do this or that <laughs> to try to, quote-unquote, save her, and she just gives him, you know, a cockeyed look, like, what, what the, the hell, hell are, you are you doing? Right, right? <laughs> she takes care of herself, and yeah. not only did I freaking become overwhelmed with emotion and cry just at the opening title crawl but i'm just gonna say it because everybody at this point is talking about it and if you're not one of the billions of people who bought tickets then it's your own damn fault that you don't know this already oh wow but with the death of han solo his his death scene i that was a sequence where i was i think every muscle in my body was tense and tight and dreading what is about to happen because I was fearing the worst. I just had that sense, and when it happened, you gotta understand this is a character I grew up with. I have known for thirty years, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so to see this character die, this beloved character die, it was horrifying for me. I mean, I don't even. I was crestfallen. When when that happened, uh, it was like a real person I know, uh, a friend of mine died. Yeah, it was, it was horrible for me. And even seeing it a second time in theaters, I was just dreading that scene as it started coming up. Like it was hard for me to watch a second time. I go past it actually. <laughs> I'm, you just avoid it I'm still not okay seeing it. <laughs> yeah, and and then when Ray gets the lightsaber, that's the other moment where I'm just overcome with just an emotion of just how awesome that moment is when uh, she force grabs the, the lightsaber and turns it on. That is just 
<laughs> an amazing shot. You know, and probably one of the five greatest moments of the entire uh, Skywalker series. Yes. You know, so I... A theatrical experience like that, how can Star Wars The Force Awakens not be our favorite movie of mm-hmm. 2015? No experience we had that year compares or comes close to comparing. So, it makes sense. Well, and how wonderful was Finn? Finn oh, yeah, was yeah, yeah. this beautiful depiction of, here's what would happen if we put, like, a fan in the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's totally <laughs> like, woo-hoo, and he's can like, you believe this? Yeah, yeah, living my life, and it's Star Wars. So, yeah, yeah, um, totally. It's just so great, and how yeah. amazing was that scene when Ray actually tried using the Force, and it worked. Mm-hmm. And exactly, that's what I was saying, yeah. I'm going to drop my weapon now, or whatever it is. And that was just fantastic. Yeah. So, those are our favorite movies of 2015. What is your favorite movie of that year? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That about wraps it up for us for this episode. Shanna, where can people find you? People can find me at shannapaxton.com. That's S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Woman's Journey to Empowerment. And those words are separated by underscores. And Woman's is actually with an A because I'm speaking about a specific woman's journey. And two is T-O, not the number two. You can find me at thegibsonreview.com where you'll see some lists, best of lists of each year, as well as uh, some past reviews. You can also find me on Facebook at The Gibson Review where you'll find some recent reviews, some shorter reviews, and other links. And also, if you're on Flickchart, you can find me there at thegibson99. Thank you for joining us for our second ever episode of... The The Movie movie Lovers. lovers. We look forward to seeing you on our next episode, which will focus on the Fast and Furious franchise. Toodles. And we'll have a guest. Goodbye. Bye-bye.